0: Hey, you're not going to bed yet, are you? That's right. It's time for TV Good Sleep Bad. <laughs> Daniel Lackey, and Elwood Jones. Hello and welcome to another edition of TV Good Sleep Bad. This is our Halloween special and joining me, of course, as always, is my partner in crime, my co-host, Mr. Daniel Lackey.
1: Did you take Bear Bear, Elwood?
0: (laughs) Oh, today's episode is also going to be another of those ones where Lackey is, uh, you get to find out how Lackey was responsible for Me burning for another Netflix subscription, so... (laughs) Because... On tonight's show, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the Out to Limits episode, Under the Bed, which I personally rank as probably one of the scariest and most traumatizing things of my childhood. And uh, in the second half, we are going to be having a look at Stranger Things Season 1, especially as Season 2 is fast approaching uh, with a release set for Halloween. So, plenty... Uh, coming up. But we're gonna start as always by asking what you've been watching and it's a pretty light slate for myself. Uh don't know about yourself, Lackey.
1: Yeah, it's it's there hasn't been a whole lot I've been watching either. Um for me the main thing uh Rick and Morty season three. And that's wrapped up by now. Yeah. Um and um uh, the other thing that's that's uh going on over here is finally I thought it was going to be earlier on in the year, but uh finally uh the second season of channel zero uh, has manifested itself on Sci-Fi. the um this the second season taking uh as you discovered uh, initially and in let me know uh handling the um no end house creepy pasta. And I'm um, really, really, um, I'm. I kind of got stalled out at about two and a half episodes into the six-episode season, but I'm really digging it even more than uh, the Candle Cove season. It's got a very, almost kind of like a Lynchian or uh, almost kind of like a, a, an under the skin type surreal feel to it. Yeah. Um, that that really, I'm really digging.
0: Okay. I mean. I never actually finished the first season of of um Child Zero. I I got a, I think I was like three or four episodes in, uh, to run and for whatever reason I think it was mainly because nobody else was talking about it and it it felt like a show that I would get more out of if there was if there's people to obviously talk about it with. Um, yeah. And it, and I mean I really liked all the aesthetics to it. I mean, kind of Grove, the actual show, the kids' show was Creepy as all hell. Um, The monster made out of children's teeth was a really great design, and there was no one thing that I can say why uh, I wasn't watching it. I think it was just it just felt very involved, and the more involved that I wanted to be in a show at that particular point. Um, So it kind of felt for the wayside. and I think I'm going to go back and, and start over again with it, because it's certainly a show that I've heard people say, I mean, you yourself have said that you enjoyed it, and I need to obviously just go back and and obviously finish it um, at some point. I mean, a show, though, which I I won't be returning to would be um, would be Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which. Ah,
1: disappointed, huh?
0: Yes. And this is all falls down to like one key thing. And that's where with the stories, they the stories themselves have been fine. But they've been adding material to pad it out to the runtime. So uh-huh. It's been it's you've got these elements of the original story there, which are all fantastic, and then you've got these added elements to pad it out, and it just really becomes too much of a drag. I mean, I, I tapped out I mean I've watched I think the first three or four, and it just seemed to be this continuous pattern of that you'd have this story and you could feel the extra fifteen minutes that have been tacked on the end. Um, uh huh. And it just, it just, they're, they're trying so hard to like say, oh, you know, this is like the new Black Mirror. You know, this is, if you like Black Mirror, you're going to like this, but it's really not the same. Um, right. The obviously, to which is obviously made uh, Dimension 404, which has uh, recently started on sci fi over here, all the more of a joy.
1: That's, and that's the, that's the, um, oh god, what's his name? Duplass, the Duplass
0: brothers, one. Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm, I'm not too sure. And the only person I know who's definitely involved is Mark Hamill, who does the, okay. the um, introductions. And it's it's basically is just Outer Limits uh, or Twilight Zone, just in a different guys, um, and perhaps a little more light hearted. The stories are really sort of fun and light hearted. Um, the casting has been really fantastic. We've had Patton Oswalt as like a snooty film lover. In one episode, who like discovers that the world is being secretly invaded. Um which I thought was really, really cool. Um but I think so far I've seen like three or four episodes of it, and all of them have just been like super fun. Uh you got the the first one where you've got this guy who's joins this dating app where they can match up a perfect partner and he finds out actually he's a clone and that they make different <laughs> versions of him to like suit the tastes of this one particular person. Uh which uh-huh. is- which is just really inspired, and it's again, it's that throwback to the Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, uh, sort of standalone story that I just really enjoyed, and it's it's filled that void that someone has been left by these shows, obviously not being active. uh-huh but, um, Wow.
1: Yeah, I hadn't. Um. Yeah, I'm thinking of something else. So the Duplass the brothers were doing an anthology.
0: Oh, I think not um, know what you mean now. Um, yeah. It's. I think it's like apartment forty seven or something like that. Something it. like that, yeah. It's similar to that um uh that show you like the number the uh, the insight number nine. Yeah. is um I watched one uh where this uh which had uh James Vanderbeek and watching it right. give like uh, a Tommy Rooseau style performance where he questions <laughs> where his wallet is. And this, yeah. this is the opening five minutes and I was like, you know I just cannot be doing with this.
1: I, yeah. love,
0: I love James Van Der Beek and his current path. I don't want to watch him doing Tommy with so impressions asking where his wallet is. Um, yeah. But, um right. yeah. yeah, no,
1: I'm looking at the, the I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Dimension 4 Four. I I, uh, I I don't know why I haven't heard of this. This is this looks really interesting and it's got uh, Joel, some a good cast on it. It's like Joel McHale, Patton Oswalt, Ashley Rickards, uh, Charles Fleischer, uh, Ken Foree, Adrian Barbeau, Megan Mullally, Malcolm Barrett. Uh, yeah, uh, looks like it's running on Hulu over here.
0: Yeah, I mean um, it's, it's often hard to say what it's going to run over there because we'll get something on Sci-Fi, and you would assume it would be on Sci-Fi in the States, but it's often on Hulu or wherever. Right. So, um, I think I think you should be able to track it down pretty easy because obviously it's a new-ish show at the moment. But uh, uh-huh. it's surprising a show on sci-fi that's actually worth watching. <laughs> it's not. It's normally like the Kiss of Death. It's like and now on sci-fi, uh, sci-fi original. Because now it's
1: sci-fi original. Some old
0: piece of crap. It's so some like, old piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. The running total of good shows sci-fi produced has been so far. Told in the book of pure evil, uh, Blood Drive, which has just been cancelled after its first season, but is also oh. cancelled. Oh. I, I know a lot to, of
1: people who loved Blood Drive.
0: They're trying to. They're trying to find somewhere for it, but at the moment, it is looking dead. Uh, unfortunately, according oh. to its creator, so. Um, and uh, yeah, and obviously, this being Dimension Four being. Being like the third uh, one to add to that list, but not not
1: a fan of the BSG reboot.
0: Uh oh, Battlestar Galactica.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, was that a sci-fi? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would include that. I haven't finished watching that yet. I'm somewhere in free season three. because uh, over here that was uh, Sky One, so it never saw sci-fi. But yeah, I like I yeah, like yeah. BSG.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's a sci-fi Sky One co-production. So again, it's it's weird that it's how these things sort of shake out where they go. Yeah. on various sides of the Atlantic.
0: I mean, just obviously go back to what you mentioned already. I mean, Rick and Morty season three is ending now. Are, are yeah. you up to date on Rick and Morty now. I am up to date on Rick and Morty. Okay. Um. For my personal stance on Rick and Morty season three, I think that it was phenomenal throughout, bar the last episode. Um, the now, last a lot episode of was people, so
1: a lot of people are saying that.
0: Um. Um. Go on. Okay, sorry, I was wondering you were going to say something. No, I'm um, just saying a lot of people have said that. Yeah, I mean, Rick and Morty season three has been it's been absolutely phenomenal. I think the only downsides to Rick and Morty, other than the last episode is the fact that everyone's jumped on this, was it Sashwan sauce or something? Oh, the Szechuan sauce thing, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, it was funny to begin with, but like it, like anything that's funny on the internet, it's been blown so far out of proportion, it's like, okay, calm down.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, no kidding, yeah. Um, you just, you just want, I just want to take some of these people and just say, calm the hell down, dude.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I have to say, though, with this season three, there's been so many people who have now discovered the show. And at the same time, there's, it's now become, like, the show that people either love or they hate. Yeah. Um, I think if you haven't seen Rick and Morty, don't watch the pilot episode. Watch uh the first episode, the first sort of official episode, uh, mm-hmm. where, where Morty's dog becomes super smart. And if you don't obviously like it from like that episode then. I don't think you're going to get the show, but I don't like the pilot. I I actually saw the pilot for the first time the other day. I don't know if Uh I missed it before. And I was like, you know, I just don't like how these characters are drawn in the pilot, but I love them how they are in the show. Yeah. Um, And I just wanted
1: to... I I was saying to somebody recently, um, I was talking about Bob's Burgers, which I find the art style... In Bob's Burgers to be almost like, it's so ugly as to give me a headache. And and I found initially with the pilot that was Rick and Morty that was almost as ugly. And then it kind of, I kind of softened on it by about episode three. Um, But yeah, no, I I, I do know what you mean about it. I I think the pilot as a, a story is fine, but it took me a while to get used to the animation.
0: Yeah, it's, I don't, don't, know what it's about that pilot, it just never sat with me. Um, but I have to say with Rick and Morty season three, it's been this, it's been one of those seasons where you have to sit around for the stinger at the end, because the stingers have been absolutely fantastic. Um, especially yeah. the, the final stinger we get at the finale <laughs> with Mr. Poopy Butthole. I, yeah. It was like so, almost on the internet, so great to like go, did you see the end? Does- the final one, because I know how much you're a fan of Mr. Poopy Butthole, you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, the fact he now has a Ooh, family. Wee. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, I'm just
1: waiting for a turn of Mr. Meeseeks.
0: <laughs> he's working for Trump. Um, oh, God. But he, <laughs> Mr. Meeseeks, he's become one of my favourite characters. Whenever you have, like, uh, a background shot with multiple characters in, you should always look after uh-huh. Mr. Macy's because he's at Jet yeah. Uh He's in one of the pods in the collectors. Uh, yeah. So, which I have to say is probably one of the darkest jokes I've seen on this show, uh, where they basically con someone t- to take their place. I, I thought that was but oh, the darkest joke I've seen on the show.
1: Uh, so for me, the darkest joke I've seen on the show was the one where Rick and Jerry go on the adventure. And to the place where they have like death, they have the immortality field, yeah. and you have the two the brother and sister running around shooting each other with like laser guns, and then they turn the field off, and the girl shoots the boy, and he dies for real. I'm like, what the hell am I laughing at?
0: <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's um, it's it's been... it's had so many interesting turns. I mean, even like episodes like Pickle Rick. I was like, what the hell are yeah. they do with Pickle Rick? And it just goes on this... The journey they went on with Pickle Rick, I would never have seen that happening. No,
1: yeah. I, it, 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 I, I... It was one of those episodes where I was progressively watching it. This, this, I, I they can't go any further with this, can they? How are they going to do this? Oh, okay, that's what they're going to do. Is that <laughs> Peter Seraphinowitz? Is that Danny Trejo? That's, you know, It was like, wow. It was, it was just, I, uh, it, it it's, it's these, uh, you've got some of the cleverest writing on television being done today on this show. You know, it's just, I don't, I, I, the, the plotting on this show, it's, it, it never, none of the stuff ever goes in a direction you would even think of it going in.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I mean. They also managed to work in another director's reference. I mean, obviously, in the previous season, we had you, Cronenberg, the universe. Now you've Uh got the great line that you've got to bark at yourself. Yeah. uh, Summer manages to skin herself. (laughs) And, um, I have to say that Marty, seeing Morty's dark side, um, both in the Cicero episode where we saw the return of Evil Morty, which... I just the end of that episode was just fantastic, but also just regular Morty showing his dark side when he's threatening Summer's ex-boyfriend over the campfire. And all he's doing uh-huh. is making s'mores and it's just the way he says it is just brilliant.
1: No, there's this great line he has in the finale, and he just it just comes out of nowhere where Rick sit they're taunting the president and then you know, Morty comes up with, Yeah, Commander and Queef, and I'm like did Morty just actually stand up for something? You know, especially like in the wake of the the episode where they have their, their toxic selves separated from each other. And and, then Morty comes off and basically becomes Patrick Bateman. You know, it's just, wow.
0: But, um, I mean, I'm excited uh, wow. for season four. I don't know when we're going to get it, as Mister Poopy Butles says, it's like ain't going to be a while for a while. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I'm interested to. I'm interested to see season four. I know. I have no idea where they're going to go. I, I I think I was disappointed, obviously, with the previous season ending on such a cliffhanger, with obviously Rick being sent to prison. The fact that we uh-huh. didn't get a similarly big. Ending on this one, it was sort of like, oh, everything's back to how it was, and, you know, yes. <laughs> it, it, yeah. The lack of cliffhanger, I think, left me, left me wanting just a little bit more. Um, uh, uh-huh. I mean, it was fun, obviously, having Rick versus the President in that epic fight sequence. Um, yeah. We just got progressively more daft, but it just, as I said, at the end, it was just sort of like, oh, is that it? <laughs> Yeah.
1: So. It, didn't, it didn't seem that the stakes worked
0: as high as they should have been.
1: But... Oh well. What do stakes even mean anymore on this show?
0: Yeah, it's, I just hope that with knowing Dan Harmon's love of self-destruction um, and how he manages to sab- self-sabotage most of his projects, I just hope it doesn't go the way of Rick and Morty. Basically, I uh, see us ending up in sort of a situation like we had with Ren and Stimpy where the show is taken away from its creator. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. Because, I mean, I haven't listened to the Harmon Town podcast in quite a while, so... <laughs> that's normally how you can tell what sort of mental state Dan Harmon's in at any one moment, so...
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: But, yeah, I mean, I think the, the only... There's some there's some other bits and pieces, but at the moment, I mean, everything's still too early to really sort of discuss. I mean, obviously, um, everything else I've been sort of watching has been sort of wrapping up shows and Uh and things, so there's nothing really to report, but I think, yeah, that's pretty much it for myself. I don't know if there's anything else that's been holding your interest. Not really. I mean,
1: uh this is Us is back on and kind of not a huge fan of This Is Us, but I, you know, watch it with a couple of the people who like to watch it. And it, it's, uh, you know, it's typically, um, you know, it, 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 it's typically, uh, uh, you know, emotionally manipulative. And I've been watching, uh, the, um, Law and Order, the new Law and Order spinoff about the Menendez murders. Okay. Um, when I don't want to really think about stuff. Uh, I did think it would be, well, I do think it would be, see, they call it, uh, you know, law and order. I really think they're going to call it law and order to a crime. They should figure out a way to work the uh, the law and order characters in there. You know, I, I, I really kind of, you know, I really wanted to see, you know, like Bobby Gorin teaming up with, like, Mike Logan and uh, Liv and taking down the Menendez brothers. And then... Well, Fred, you know, Fred Dalton, and then, you know, you get Jack McCoy out there to prosecute them. I thought that would have been cool. But, you know, apparently nobody agrees with me. <laughs>
0: it's, uh, the problem with Law and Order, because it's, it runs so long. I mean, Law and Order, uh, I Special Victims, it's the only one I, I sort of regularly watch. But now it's something of the point where all oh, my favorite characters are pretty much left, like Munch is gone, and. Yeah. Um, and Ellis is just, gone. And- it's just, it's just,
1: it's just living thin now, pretty much.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I like. I mean, um, B D Wong's gone off because he's off doing Gotham at the minute. So. Yeah, yeah, he's
1: playing Hugo Strange there. I know. It was really fun. It was really fun watching SVU at the same time Hannibal was on because the guy who plays the DA, who's been playing the DA for like six seven years on SVU, Raúl uh, Esparza, was playing. Um, Oh God! What was his name? Uh, Chilton on Hannibal. Yes, and uh, it was it was just hilarious going back between back and forth between the two shows. It was just so funny. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, you know I still watch SVU. It's still it's still you know again kind of like comfort food television.
0: Yeah, I know that. Um, oh, Elliot's now got a new show with a. A Talking Unicorn, which looks absolutely bizarre.
1: Oh, yeah, that. He's on that? I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, I'm just... Uh, let's see. Happy, right, is Happy, the name of it? Which has been getting rave reviews from the critics, but I've, it's yet to make it over here. Um,
1: uh-huh. I think I mean, that's another sci-fi show over here.
0: I think it is as well. So Anyway, they're really doing well. Almost around five.
1: Oh, it's based on a um it's based on a Grant Morrison graphic novel.
0: That doesn't surprise me.
1: Nor does it surprise me. Oh, and the uh, voice of the um the, the voice of the unicorn is Pat Noswald.
0: oh it's even better. Yeah, Pat <laughs> well, I'm partway through Pat Norwald's uh, latest special, uh Annihilation. Yeah. Uh which is is worth worth watching. I mean he's both of the specialties now done for Netflix have both been really great, so... uh uh-huh. um, So, yeah, it's uh, also directed by Bobcat Goldfrey, who... Oh, cool! ...who did a phenomenal uh, episode on Gilbert Godfrey's podcast. Um, if you ever yeah. get a chance, if you do get a spare chance in your podcast uh, schedule, definitely download some episodes of Gilbert um uh, colossal podcast. Um uh-huh. it's, you wouldn't think Gilbert Godfrey would be such a intelligent and insightful interviewer as he actually is, but his show is absolutely fantastic, especially because he's a big film fan and hearing him like, Uh he's theories like the universal monsters, like in according to him, with the universal monsters, they represent different stages of adolescence. So Frankenstein's a baby. Um, Dracula is how young boys like to see themselves, like how they would like to be around girls, like the Lofaro able to seduce women. Yeah. And then you've got the Wolfman, who's basically uh-huh. adolescence, because you've got hair growing out places, your emotions are wild, and and uh, yeah, he comes out with these fascinating little factoids, and and the guests he have is so, the interviews he gives are just so insightful, and Volcat Gulfwaite's episode is particularly great. Uh, he talks about his friendship with Robin Williams and he's like, I knew I had a true friendship with him because I've actually been bored with him. I'd like go around his house and watch, <laughs> watch him play Call of Duty and swear at like kids and, and stuff. And I'm thinking, thinking all the while that, Hey, there's, uh, some kid getting sworn out by the genie off Aladdin. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, it's it's a really great uh, great podcast and definitely worth uh, checking out, especially if you like uh Mark Marin's WTF podcast. It's a very similar sort of style to it. Um it's less about what the person is doing and just you know, about talking about their career and things that that make them tick. It's uh it's it's all sort of the insightful sort of podcast that I like to listen to. So Uh-huh. But uh yeah, I mean if there's, I mean, something else you want to bring up? No. Nope. Okay. No. Nope. Well, let's get on to the first of our selections this evening. I mean, we're going to start with the Outer Limits episode Under the Bed. This is from season one of the '95 series. And if you listen to previous episode, you will know that I already saw this episode because this was my pick as being like one of the most traumatizing things um, I saw as a kid. This episode absolutely terrified the hell out of me. And as we... I think watching it now, because I still hold on to some of that childhood trauma, is still a pretty effective episode. But in this episode, is basically about the monster living under the bed, as we open to um, a boy who is dragged under his bed by this unseen monster. And we enter this police detective who is... Teams up with uh, psychologists to try and figure out what's happened, and they uncover through the uh, sister's sort of like traumatized the sort of state. They learn about this booger and they're t- trying to uh, obviously stop it before it kidnaps any more children. So, this is a unique play on the monster under the bed mythos, and it's a very unique story, especially for the outer limits, because outer limits is normally sort of like a morality tale or something a little more sci fi based. So, to see them just do like a straight Monster of the Week, and especially a story based around, you know, the child of fear, the the boogeyman, the monster under the bed, is such a unique and interesting concept, especially the way it's done in this episode. But, I mean, lucky. I mean, this is our second look at this version of The Outer Limits, the reboot series. Um, Previously, we obviously looked at the Nanobots episode, uh, Under the Skin. Now, obviously, looking at Under the Bed. I mean, how did you find this episode?
1: Um, The the thing that the the two things that struck me immediately about this episode were number one, the thing that you mentioned, which is that this is not what I sort of tend to think of as the uh, as being really like the 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 outer limits formula. The outer limits I always tend to see as kind of very solidly, even if it's um you know even if it is acting in a more straightforward horror vein. Um, it generally does have at least some sort of nominal science fiction underpinning, um, and for the most part, I am saying to, mentioning this in, in light of the original series and not the ninety five series i 'm a lot more uh, familiar with the i 've seen a few episodes of the later series but i 'm more familiar with the black and white series um that even even an episode like um you know, even an outright you know an episode that's more definitely outright horror such as you know it crawled out of the woodwork or uh, um, the invisibles I think it, is. it has like some sort of nominal um sort of underpinning of of science fiction so and there's a little bit of an attempt at the beginning and the end of this episode um, where the uh the control voice talks about uh like, classifying, you know, like, uh, you know, scientists discovering things and mapping, you know, it's like mapping things out and, you know, discovering all the various beasts of the world and classifying them and all that, and then kind of concluding, and some are just the monster under the bed. Um This is basically a straightforward fantasy-based horror thing. This is not this, this this is not some sort of really kind of thoughtful sci-fi exercise this is just kind of like a go for the throat type scare the episode that tries to basically try to get the try to reduce you to kind of like a um like a childlike mentality and kind of like
0: prey on childhood fears um yeah i mean it, it is basically that is playing into your into childhood childhood fears and i think this episode came without any warning during during the run, because it, up until this point, as I say, it has been like mm-hmm. sort of like sci-fi and very sort of traditional sort of tales for for, for this. So this was a very unusual episode to suddenly get dropped in into the mix. But at the same time, it became like one of the most talked-about episodes because it always back in the day when this was uh, was was shown, there was no like no internet really to speak of. So it wasn't like you could just go and watch it on catch up or something. It was basically. You would watch this episode and then you would talk about it at school the next day. It was like just one of those uh, talk about shows. And if you missed it, it was like this fear that you missed out something important. So, of course, this was the major one everyone wanted to talk about because it was actually genuinely scary. And then the opening, in particular, with the uh, talking teddy bear, is, uh, it oh, is so girl. drawn out. You've got this, fear, this creeping sense of dread that something's going to happen and then it suddenly like, hits and it like. We're straight then into the opening, uh, the opening credits, which themselves are still creepy as hell. So it has that lasting effect of like it gets you on edge, and then it keeps you on edge for longer than than the scene would normally keep you. Had they not gone straight into that opening credit, so it's uh, right. like, It really hits hard to start with, and the way the episode is designed and its layout, and the fact that we're going. Through this is like a police investigation where they were doing, like, we got the psychologist trying to get the sister who obviously witnessed this to actually reveal what she saw. It's a different way of, of looking at it than any other time we've obviously gone over the Boogie Round Mythos. Uh, any other time has been sort of very, very much from the child's perspective, and the adult doesn't believe them, and we're just constantly from the child. But this is actually, we're seeing this from the adult perspective, which is what makes it so interesting. Um, it's an X file. Yeah, it's an so X file.
1: That's that's the other thing that I notice about it is that it's basically structured as an X file, as as it would be an X files, as if it were an X files episode with the cop in the Scully role and the um the the psychologist um, Timothy Busfield from thirty uh, something is the only guy I recognize in the cast in the the Mulder role. Um, it is, an ex- it is very much kind of structured as a, uh, a, a procedural in the X Files, you know, Monster of the Week vein. I, I could very much see this working with Mulder and Scully. Um, even kind of down to that, finding the modern reason for something, you know, finding the modern reason for, you know, why there's a boogeyman, you know, finding like the actual truth behind the fairy tale and kind of... I I mean, just that that whole thing, it just really kind of gave me that sort of early X-Files, and even the monster, for that matter, which which is portrayed through most of the episode as a a sort of Predator-esque, kind of invisible monster, where they show the CGI distortion in the shape of the monster, but you don't actually see the monster until the end of the episode.
0: Yeah, and... Um, Well, I mean, the... the actual... I think that's the the only down part is when we actually do see the monster, the actual ending of the episode um, is where it sort of came apart for myself because up until that point, it, as you said, it, it's like a really great Monster of the Week episode the X-Files, just obviously with different characters playing the Mulder and Scully roles. Um, when we obviously, and uh, when we look at the psychologist character, I mean, again, we've got this this childhood trauma which uh, obviously drives them. I mean, obviously in the case of Mulder, it was his sister being abducted by aliens which led him on his path. In the case of John the psychiatrist we've got his brother being also abducted by a boogeyman um, and this sort of link they having the case. So when we get to the end and we get this, this troll-like creature um, who basically turns to stone in sunlight and is, and John basically batters it to, to death with a pole. I don't know, it just... It, it just felt uh, the ending didn't have the weight I wanted it to have, especially after the journey we took to get there. And even now, rewatching it, I was still nobly happy with the ending. And and the fact that this kid is is tied up, yet all the other kids uh, are have all been we assume been been devoured. Mm. Uh, but this this one child happy chooses to tie up for no apparent mm. reason.
1: Yeah, the, the mental note I was making in my head. Meanwhile, and nobody realizes Andrew, Andrew is still alive, so he dies a slow, painful death of hunger and dehydration <laughs> further on in the cave, because everybody just assumed he was dead already.
0: <laughs> it's, um... Yeah, I mean, at least the ending claws it back, um... Uh, I mean, I just like the last the last shot of this episode. I think that was really great. With uh, where it ends in France and there's another boogeyman under the bed, just a pair of glowing red eyes. Which I think mean, is still an effect. It's it's a yeah trick, but it's still super effective.
1: Yeah, I mean this is um. I mean the thing is about this episode. It it was made in 1995, and it looks like it was made in 1995. The um that was a very kind of popular like i said even the cgi that they do for the monster is it's the popular kind of cgi they did at the time even the x files did it yeah you know um that predator effect um you know a lot of the editing effects a lot of the camera effects are are things that were just basically you know this is what this was was kind of done at the time uh, so it looks, you know, it looks very dated. I didn't see it when I was younger, so... And this this would have... I mean, I would have been in my 20s when this aired anyway. Uh, so I don't know if this was ever going to quite have the effect on me that it would have on, a, a, you know, someone in his early teens or just kind of going up on his, you know, approaching his teens. Um, you, you know, because that's really kind of where the ultimate effect on something like this is going to be. And I can imagine it being very effective towards that sort of younger viewer, um, which is kind of weird, uh, considering that this was um, a Showtime series over in America. And in, in Showtime, they basically kind of, Showtime shows were of the time were kind of notorious for having nudity thrown in at sort of random and inopportune times just to justify the fact that they were on Showtime, uh, usually coming from uh, Showtime officials. Uh, I remember the, um, the Total Recall show yes. they did that was around the same time, did the same thing. Um, and I remember there was... Like, so this was being very much kind of pitched as an, a show for adults. You know, it was running, I think it was running later, you know, not like overnight necessarily, but it was running later on a cable network. Um, so it is kind of weird, I felt, kind of doing something that was a little bit more pitched to a younger audience. Um, I, or at least that would have been more effective towards, I felt, a younger audience. And maybe maybe that's why they structured it the way they did, you, you know, with, you know, the focus not being on the kids, but being on the the cop and the psychiatrist um, to, to more sort of justify its its, its presence on The Outer Limits. It's, and I'm not saying it's a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination. It's got some very, like I said, I, I think it kind of had the effect that the makers of it had intended it to have at the time. Um I'm just not sure that anybody watching it now who wasn't already familiar with it is going to have that... um or anybody who isn't, like, younger, uh, is gonna have that attitude towards it.
0: Yeah. I but, think, <laughs> I, I think you, you nailed it perfectly though. I mean, at the time this was released, so 95, we've got this, we've got The Exiles also, uh, out. You've also got, um, I believe American Gothic was around the same time, and on Kids TV, Kids TV especially, this was like real good nature kitty kiddie uh-huh. horror. Because you had, are you afraid of the dark? You had goosebumps. You had, uh, in just with the books and stuff, you had like all the point horror books that were out, and uh, as well as the Goosebump books. So there was this real sort of undercurrent of horror at the time, and I think this really perfectly tapped into 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 that. And throughout the whole of uh, the outer Limited, always the way they looked at ideas it's always been really interesting. And I think again, with, the, with this, as we mentioned already, I mean, this is a movie story, but it's told from the adult perspective. Um, and I think perhaps, uh, you right, to say, I mean, perhaps there's a certain element of nostalgia for myself and how I view this, because I think I forgive a lot of the aspects of it. So it's hard to say how this plays to, uh, to anyone who wasn't familiar with the sort of time period and obviously what was popular at the time. So it'd be, uh, interesting to see how this would play with like a more <laughs> modern audience, but, um, no, I was kind of relieved it still held up, but then again, I'm always yeah. surprised at it. I'm always surprised of how many of these episodes still hold up now. And it just frustrates me the fact that we haven't had a decent box set of it. Um, yeah, just had like these really sort of bizarre releases for the show. Um, and I think it's, it, it would be great if, if someone eventually gets around to releasing, uh, releasing it. Someone, someone who isn't going to charge you an absolute fortune for it or. If it just gets yeah. to the platform, like, um, like I would love to see this on Netflix, for example. I think uh-huh. if it's on Netflix, I think this really have an audience, especially with people who are watching things like Black Mirror, if people are watching Dimension Four or Four, um, uh, tr- Stranger Things, and so forth. Yeah, Stranger um,
1: Things, because this kind of because this kind of thing, the sort of retro horror you know we're we're you know the horror and this particular kind of horror is kind of coming back right now, taking kind of like a retro attitude and it's been i mean we've been seeing this in in the movies for like the last ten years, the idea of throwback horror, and you know you you know horror as well as I do in the cinematic form as it as it comes down so you know exactly what I'm talking about when you know we're 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 talking about like the sort of vogue of throwback horror that starts with the House of the devil and maybe even before you know, but you've got this kind of situation where now we're on TV where you have things like, and we'll get to stranger things obviously, but you have these things that are sort of like deliberately kind of, uh, that dimension for or four, which deliberately kind of take that sort of retro attitude towards horror. Um, and, um, this is kind of like, and then you have stuff like, you know, the return of the X files, uh, which we're going to be getting 10 episodes of that next year. And, um, that's very much, uh, there's very much kind of a, uh, you know, an interest, a market for something like that. And this over here, I watched this on Amazon. Um, no, I didn't. I watched it on, it's on Hulu over here. Um, they have both the old and the original and, uh, the 95 series of, of Outer Limits on Hulu. So, um, you know, that's a, a pretty good, it's a pretty good deal if you want to pay for multiple streaming platforms. I mean, it would be great if everything were on just the one and you only had to pay just the one service, but you know, such so as life. I mean, and, and the thing about this was for the most part, I kind of enjoyed it. You know, I, it, it didn't, it didn't amazingly thrill me or, 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 or scare me or anything like that, and I did find myself occasionally focusing too much on the flaws. Like, okay, so the mother is the one the mother's the one that's emotionally and verbally abusive. And yet there's a, a, restraining order out on the father, which they never explained why that restraining order was out. Um, the other thing that kind of bugged me was the fact that, okay, you've had a kid disappearing in this area, this town or this County or whatever, every new moon. So every four weeks since the 1800s and you're only noticing, people are only noticing this now. You know, I would have at least liked a little bit of like a, an it, dairy, mean, well, it just it doesn't want us to know, the outside world to know what's going on, type of fake leaf explanation, but it was like I'm looking at this like, what?
0: Yeah. <laughs> but... <it's... laughs> It starts off well, and then we we end up with a couple of stars along the way, certainly. So, uh.
1: and and certainly, it, it certainly doesn't the, the the ending. It I think needed probably a little bit more. I was expecting more of an X Files-ish ending, you know, which which would you know be less about kind of like over well, we'll triumph over the troll thing, and you know, and then I mean, I, I I'm obviously savvy enough with the formula to know the last thing before the final, before the executive producer credits is going to be kind of like a reiteration of yes, but somewhere else there's another monster under another kid's bed. Yeah. You know, but you know, no, it, it, it it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was terrific, but like I said, I think I just don't think I'm the target audience for something like this. You know, I think I kind of needed to be a bit younger or have seen it when I was a bit younger, to really appreciate it more. I, I Like
0: I said, I could definitely see this scaring the crap out of, like, a 12-year-old. <laughs> That's I just, well, I can't remember how it was at the time when I watched this, so. Um, I, certainly myself, who wasn't, I wasn't watching a lot of horror. I didn't watch horror, really, until I went to college. Um, and I just saw, like, really going to horror in a big way. So my only bits of horror that I was getting was, like, through, like, the TV sort of horror and, like, as we mentioned, like, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps and Tales of the Critic Keeper. Those were, like, the bits of horror that it was obviously getting. So I think uh, for someone who wasn't fully immersed in, like, the horror genre, then, uh, yeah, this was certainly an effective thing. And I don't know. I, I like this one. And,
1: and, and definitely at the time, definitely at the time, there was something of kind of like a lull in horror in film most of, like, the horror that people remember now, um, you know, stuff like The X-Files, Buffy, um, Are You Afraid of the Dark, The Goosebumps Show, Real Monsters, um, stuff like that, uh, was on TV. That was kind of like the resurgence of horror on, you know, as it, 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 being kind of a, more of a, a mass-produced thing or taking trying to get a, a more, like, mass effect type thing a mass appeal and particularly as aimed at kids you know because again this is like the this is when the book as you mentioned yourself this is when R.L. Stein's books were at their height let alone yeah. the show you know the show came about because the books were so, such a phenomenon
0: yeah definitely so but um, yeah I mean is there anything else that you want to talk about this one
1: that's, that's
0: about it. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Um, when we return, we're going to be diving headfirst into our uh, look back at the first season of Stranger Things. Why haven't you seen Jaws? I've seen Finding Nemo. That's close enough, right? Why haven't you seen the usual suspects? Because I already know who Kaiser Soze is. I can't believe you haven't seen Videodrome. What? Has anyone seen Videodrome? You haven't haven't movie. Movie. Like a okay, okay, okay. How about I start a podcast where someone will introduce me to one of these great movies I've never seen before, and in return, I'll have them watch a superhero movie. Film-wise, the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. Find it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And we're back. Um, you're so, of course, listening to TV Good Sleep Bad. I'm Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, as always, is still Mr. Daniel Lackey. Hello. and uh, we It's are, <laughs> we
1: demo, Corgan.
0: Sorry. We're now going to be looking uh, back at uh, Season 1 of Strange Things, because obviously Season 2 is coming up on Halloween. So depending on when you're listening to this, it will either be a couple of days away or be out already, and you already have your opinions to uh, cast on Season 2. Um, but Season 1 of Strange Things, I mean, this is one of those Netflix shows that came out and, really became one of the shows that everyone suddenly wanted to talk about, and of course, like everything popular, it's only just taking me until now to watch it, so um, what was it about Stranger Things that obviously got your interest lucky, first of all?
1: Um, I think really uh, more than anything else, the fact that Jonathan really has great taste in music because he makes, um, he makes Will that mixtape with Joy Division on it, and uh, they have that one episode where they think will is dead, and they play atmosphere along with the uh so the whole thing is that it's like oh god it's like it's so sad and they're playing atmosphere, which makes it even sadder um it it's um I don't know i, I just think it's it's a really good kind of like back to basics and i'm and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination mr eighties nostalgia type guy normally i I, I I'm I'm very much different towards '80s '80s nostalgia, and there, there's even things that a lot of people like. Like one of the things I I, I didn't like about Donnie Darko was I felt that it ca- sort of went bent over backwards to say, Hi, we take place in nineteen in, in the eighties. Look, here's Donnie's mother reading it. Here's Echo and the Bunnyman on the soundtrack. You know, and it's it's yeah, so normally that I'm very indifferent to that kind of stuff, but I think it's kind of just got the sort of um there's this sort of thing coming around in the culture again. And I think it just happens to be something that gives it this kind of vibe. It's got this very sort of simple kind of Stephen King slash Steven Spielberg feel to it. It's very much in the 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 vein of things like it or um you know poltergeist where and, you know, I like the relationships between the kids. Um, it's really kind of got that's kind of how I re- reacted with my own friends uh, at the time. Um and, um, I, I don't know, it, it's got these sort of, and it mixes it, this, this sort of not particularly romanticized kind of view of, like, living at that particular time, at that particular age, and then it takes this very dark, very atmospheric kind of Lovecraftian horror and science fiction thing, and kind of melts it together uh, into sort of like this sort of weird goo that occasionally you know spawns like a, uh, an 11 year old girl with a shaved head yeah but it, it, it's just it, it, it's just I really respond to the cast I, I think the cast are doing a great job I think it's directed great I think it's written great I don't know if I can put exactly my thumb on exactly what it is that that is kind of it, why this is you know Responding to mirror and, and to a lot of people this is kind of like this is kind of like the water cooler thing is as, as much as as much hoopla there has there has been around some of the other Netflix shows around orange around house of cards um, even around black mirror it, it's this is stranger things seems to be the thing that make makes Netflix, like the thing, it's like the killer show for Netflix. It's the compelling, it's the compelling reason to have Netflix. Almost,
0: yeah, I think the success of Stranger Things has certainly had to do with a lot of the fact that there is really nothing else like it. Um, and you, I mean, you tapped into the fact that it's that you obviously we've like we have seen things that have tried to homage sort of 80s culture with limited success I mean you don't like Donnie Darko I'm a self-confessed Darko fan I love Richard Kelly everything he does it's just wonderful for me um, I mean I'm such a big nerd of Donnie Darko that I'm one of those people who like pauses it on the grandma death diaries just so you can read all the little notes and stuff um, uh-huh. which actually explains the whole film if you actually do it so um, that's why the, the director's cut kind of fails because it pauses on those scenes longer so uh uh, it explains it all a little bit too much, but, uh, yeah, I love Donnie Darko, but enough of, of, of that. But, um, yeah, you, with this show, I mean, for anyone who's obviously not familiar with the show, it basically is set in this fictional town, uh, of Hawkins, Indiana, in the early 1980s. And we've got this group of four friends, they're kind of like, this losers club and they're all sort of banded together and they like Dungeons and Dragons and all these like nerdy little things. And one of their group, um, Will, he disappears one night and at the same time with the rest of the group looking for him, they encounter this girl with a shaved head called Elle, um, which is short for Eleven, who is, they discover over the course of the season has got psychic powers and the government agency who have been training her are basically looking for her. At the same time there's this monster that can go between dimensions that the boys can refer to as being the demigorgon. Am I right in saying that? Demo Gorgon. The demogorgon is one of the big D
1: monsters.
0: Um, I'm such a geek. <laughs> uh, you see this is the thing, I never really got into D D because in d and a level 1 sheep is tougher than a level 1 barbarian. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that was like, as soon as I realised that, that whole game just fell apart for me. I was just like, you know, I'm going to go off and play Palladium or Vampire the Masquerade or something. I can't... Yeah, um, yeah. You just... If you're a barbarian and you fear your greatest fear in life is encountering a flock of sheep, you know something's going wrong. But, um, yeah, I mean, this show... <laughs> The, the cast itself are fantastic. I mean, we've got the young cast who are great, and I totally agree with yourself. It taps into that Stephen King vibe. Like you can look at this group and compare it to the group that we see in like Stand by Me, for example. Right. They've got this very natural bond between them. They talk to each other how kids talk to each other. So they insult each it, other. They have the, their the, own codes. The the pilot
1: that the, the, the... But one of my favorite scenes in the pilot is the scene where um, Hopper, the police chief, is interviewing the kids and asking them about Will's disappearance, and they're all talking over each other, and they're using it's like, oh, yeah, he was out near Mirkwood, and all using this kind of like own sort of language which Hopper doesn't understand you know, and they have to explain it all. It's it, it, it just it's it's how twelve-year-old kids relate to each other. It's it, it, it's it's that scene in many ways is very much kind of like almost like a dramatic non overtly comedic uh, version of the um, the finger gun scene from the episode of Spaced that we did last uh, last episode in that. This really is how, you know, this is how a lot of people relate to each other.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there was just something about these, these kids. It's ironic really that Will, who obviously spends most of the season in the upside down. So he's, he's removed is actually the weakest member of the cast. So when we do get him back at the end, um, it was sort of like, you know, I don't really care about you all that much, to be honest. I was more upset about the... Barb? Uh, yeah, more is, upset about Barb? I don't even know if <laughs> i Barb. Barb! I was so... When they wrote her out of the show, I was just... Oh, I was distraught. Yeah. Um, and there's, this isn't a perfect show. I'm not going to be one of these people who's like, oh, it's like this amazingly perfect show. At the same time it's very I think from the opening scene where we got the scientist running down the hallway that uh-huh. it catch me. Because one of my favorite things one of my favorite tropes in in uh, in fantasy and sci fi is with you've got a scientist running down a hallway or you've got like alarm bells going off in a lab, so something's broken out of a lab. Those favorite those are like some of my favorite tropes. And the fact we open with those, I was like, I don't care what happens now, I'm I am hooked already on this show. Um, uh-huh. And just the way it builds up uh, over as we get to see these characters and the fact that it's not just about the kids, which is what yeah. surprised me. I thought this is just going to focus on this group of kids and they're going to pull up this Spielberg-style storyline where they basically outsmart all the adults and they solve it all, but it becomes more involved as it goes along. All these other characters get brought in, like obviously the police chief, uh, Jim Hopper, gets brought in, who who is opening uh, his, his opening philosophy of mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Mornings for coffee, coffee and contemplation! <laughs> <laughs> That's my new motto in life. Um, we obviously have Winona Ryder showing up as uh, Will's mother, who has her own journey because she's Finds a way to communicate between the dimensions, and she's basically everyone thinks she's going crazy because she's like stringing up Christmas lights over her house and setting up all these ways to communicate with Will on the other side. Um, at the same time, we've got her oldest son who's on his own quest, and he hooks up with the older sister of, uh Karen. right, Yeah, uh, yeah, he's um, yeah, I she she he
1: hooks up with um Nancy.
0: Nancy, uh,
1: uh, uh Mike's older sister.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Nancy herself, I mean, she's obviously got all this. She's currently seeing, like, the school bad boy, and who I will actually come back to in a minute, and we've obviously got these multiple, like, storylines that are going on, and most interestingly, we've got Matthew Modine shows up, who I don't know where he's been hiding, but he's really on on uh, on the level in this episode.
1: Yeah. Well, he's been hiding on the upside down.
0: Probably. Um,
1: I guess they're bringing, I guess they're bringing, well, that's how he got that white hair. You know, it turned his hair white. I guess they've got Paul Reiser uh, coming in in the second season. Um, uh, and, I, and I'm hoping he'll play someone who's a, a little bit of a, a bit of like uh, kind of like the second season, uh, season equivalent of Doctor Brenner, and they make a uh, lot of Carter Burke jokes because it's just perfect for that. But yeah, Matthew Modine—I never thought I'd ever find Matthew Modine of all people that menacing, but he really kind of just hits it on this one.
0: Yeah, I think it's the minimalisticness of his character because. He's very on this one level. No matter what's what's really going on, he's sort of like got his his sort of uh, focus on this this one goal of using ESPN, um, not ESPN, ESP. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, he's using a sports network for his world domination plans. We will Um, world domination. Make America great again through sports. Yeah, he's sort of like the adopted father of Eleven. He has this father-daughter relationship with Eleven. And just when we get the flashbacks to the experiments he's conducting and, and just how he sort of carries himself throughout this whole season has just been absolutely fantastic. Um, but I think if anything, it's, it is Eleven who steals this, this show because. Yeah, it's, it, it's really.
1: I I mean, it's just really, really, I'm impressed by how, you know, I rewatched the pilot. And I I was so impressed by how well Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven, just basically commands everything from her first scene. You know, it, 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 it really just astonished me. I mean just how accomplished a performance she puts in. Um I was I was gobsmacked.
0: Yeah, and I think one of my favorite aspects of her character is the fact that she's largely mute and then occasionally she just have these absolutely badass moments. Um such as the moment where she uses her powers to break the bully's arm. Which yeah. is just, it's like oh Christ um, she's like River Cam, age 11. Yeah, she is. She basically is. And when we obviously get to the conclusion of her storyline this first season, I was like, no, no, I I, I don't want her to go. Will you come back? And I really uh-huh. don't, we, because I've avoided all the trailers for season two, so if this has been revealed already, then, you know, excuse my ignorance here, but. I really hope she's <laughs> back in Season 2, because if she's not, then there's going to be some stern letters written.
1: Do, 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 you, do, you want, do you want to know if she's in Season 2?
0: I have a feeling she is, because I'm sure Kim's spoiled this for me already, so... Yeah, um, she is. Okay. Yeah, they've had. She's, they've even done photo shoots uh, over here for, like,
1: Entertainment Weekly. Um. So she's confirmed.
0: The only thing I know obviously what Millie Bobby Brown's been up to is the fact she's going to be in the new Godzilla sequel that's coming out because they're King of Monsters yeah uh, yeah, and that was it I didn't know she's in season 2 or anything anything like that um, uh-huh. but I mean this is another show where we were originally just going to watch the pilot episode for this this season and then it was like where's the pilot and then it was like you know I've got to watch the rest of
1: this. oh, oh great Lackey you bastard you've done it again
0: yeah but you know <laughs> we've for another month's subscription watching bloody strong oh, Things um but i mean favorite characters i mean do you have a favorite character
1: here um eleven i'm i'm really fond of eleven i'm really fond of um um there is I, I like the um i like the really geeky science professor science teacher
0: yeah
1: uh scott i like him scott clark um he he's one of the nicer he's one of the you know cooler sympathetic uh, you know, a, adult. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I really kind of have a favorite character here. Um, I. I think it's one of those things. It's like you can, you know, for the most part, I. I think the characters that I do like pretty much all kind of stand together, kind of, on the same level, and I really kind of like my favorite scenes with the kids are the ones where they kind of stand together as a unit. So, like for example, with the the three kids with um Mike, Dustin, and um, uh, Lucas, uh, you know I don't really have a preference. You know I don't really say, well, that one's my favorite. I think probably full, Finn. I think probably Mike is the one that makes the most impression on me. Um, because Finn Wolfhard and then Finn Wolfhard again, you know it, it, he's so natural doing the Stephen King type character. That after this, they cast him as Richie in the It remake. Yeah. And and he just slays that. Um, But I think all of the. I I, mean, it's like. You know, I think for the most part, most of the performances are pretty good. There are a couple weaker performances. I think Winona Ryder goes a little bit one note in the middle.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it seems to be Winona Ryder's track at the moment. She's playing these traumatized characters. I mean, she was. playing the traumatized dancer in Black Swan and essentially it's the traumatized mother she's playing here. Um, yeah. And I mean, seeing her in, in hazmat gear in the final episodes was a little random because she's a bit too short for the outfit they've got her. Yeah, um, so yeah. Her head seems to be disappearing under the visor the whole way through. Yeah. Um, I mean, for myself, Dustin is the greatest character in this of the group. <laughs> um, or toothless, as I came calling him. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's so, clenocleadial dysplasia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he's, he's really the backbone of the group, because he's always, yeah. he plays the peacemaker between the group, and the amount of times that he's the one who sort of steps up and tells them to stop bickering about shit, and just like focus on what they need to be doing. Yeah. Um, I just, just throughout, he never seemed to have a bad moment, and you mentioned the science teacher and I was so expecting like the final episodes that he turns out to be like a double agent or something. Uh-huh. Um, it's like no one could be that nice. They have to be like evil in some way. And the whole sequence where he's meeting with the the government agent who's uh, undercover and she's talking about the newsletter to, to him. I was like, sure, that would have some bigger purpose, but it never really does. Um, uh uh-huh. what the actual plan was there, so I hope that that was something for season two, because so otherwise it's just kind of a pointless scene. Um, yeah. Um, kind of like him watching uh, The Thing with his hot girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> I I'm, I'm think there's no way he would get a girlfriend that hot. <laughs> yeah. Much less get her to watch The Thing. Well, you never know. So... Um, uh, but
1: no, it, it is isn't, it isn't a uh, you know it isn't a perfect show. But in terms of the imagination, um, the Barb thing, um, I, I think the Barb thing really pissed people off. And I think, to a large extent, I don't think that 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 Nancy and Steve came off as likable as the writers intended them to come off. I found myself really getting irritated on a consistent basis with Nancy after a while. And Steve's... It's refreshing to see a a redemption arc for Steve instead of just kind of like having him thrown to the side or killed or something like that. Because I was absolutely sure he was not going to make it through the season. I I just felt the the redemption arc just came out of nowhere. It's just like like only in like... Episode nine, eight or nine, he decides. Oh wait, I'm going to be on the good guys' side after all, and I'm going to take. I'm going to tell all my asshole friends to go fuck themselves, you know. And I'm going to. I'm going to hook up with Nancy, you know. Um, Jonathan, I I think I know what they were trying to get at with Jonathan, but a lot of the time he came off as the creepy loner instead of the somewhat sympathetic Byronic
0: loner. Yeah. It's um, well I mean that whole Love Triangle thing, it I didn't buy his sudden his sudden change in, in character. Uh where he's he's uh, obviously spray paint on the uh on the uh, on the cinema sign like uh Conor and and whatnot, and then suddenly he has this this surprising change of heart and I was like, Well that makes no sense. I bought yeah. him going back into the house because they obviously have him leave the house, and when he comes back in and essentially starts beating the monster up with the group, I bought that sequence. But when we're at the end and Nancy's back with him, when all the while we seem to be building up to her getting with Jonathan.
1: Uh huh.
0: And it was all like, well, you know, she's giving him the gift, and then it's all like, no, you're you're not gonna end up there, and it's all like, oh, it's it's not what I wanted at the end for that arc it, it uh, I just hope it's not something they're like oh we're gonna play this as like the long game it's like will they won't they get together because it's not it's not that interesting as a as a plot line it's just something I would like to have seen happen they obviously didn't um, yeah it, it's
1: that love triangle is really like the weakest plot in in, in the season and it's just like, at, at no point at, at, at no point am I ever really all that invested. you know is Nancy going to go with Jonathan or is she going to go with Steve? you know there's some He gets some funny he gets some funny comedic moments, and the pilot I really kind of like the scene where Mike is go sneaking out the back, riding away at his bicycle detergent there's Steve climbing up the the gutters, to, to, to get to Nancy's window, <laughs> and the two just look at
0: each other like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's... There's, I mean, this is... I mean, there's obviously... We sold already, I mean, you've obviously got the references there. I mean, it's very Spielberg. I mean, this could essentially be a Stephen King story. If, if it was yeah. sort in Maine, then it would be a Stephen King story. That's the only thing uh, that's sort of stopping...
1: And and all of these small towns look the same in the dark. You know, that that's really kind of the thing I like about the show is how it, you know, I, I love these, my favorite, you know, visually, my favorite scenes in the show are the ones where the kids are on the bike and they got, it's dark, it's pitch black, there's no street lights, you know, they're driving down, they're biking down side streets. And the only light you've got is that kind of ambient bluish moonlight on the horizon and the lights of their, um... The, the, the headlights on their bikes cutting through the darkness and it's, it's, you know, they use the director to use that light like the directors on the X-Files use the flashlights cutting through darkness like a lightsaber. It's, it's just, I love stuff like that. You know, this is kind of like the pitch black. Um but yeah it and that that's a very Spielberg thing and a very Stephen King thing, but I think that like I said, all of these small towns in America they all look the same after dark
0: yeah it's um and the other aspect of the that I really like about about this is the soundtrack It's very carpenter yeah. it's very heavy on the synth, especially that the uh the title sequence
1: yeah um, um,
0: um, 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 and I mean we obviously get we get some eighties sort of throwback tracks in there, but there was nothing that really I don't know I mean did the soundtrack really sort of stand out to yourself, or I mean, there was occasionally like a one or two songs that sort of hit me, but I like the original scoring, especially uh, um.
1: Yeah, there's there's bits where, um, and I'm trying to remember, like, later on down the road, um, like, the one that hit me, because I am a Joy Division fan, the one that really hit me is the way, I really like the way they, like, uh, the way they used Atmosphere in that one episode, but it's got, like, you know, I think they do a very good job of kind of, like, setting the mood, using kind of these songs to set the mood, Um you can hear me typing in the background, um, trying to like look up like a song list here. Um, but you know, it's like you know, but a lot of them use stuff like uh, like songs like you know, should I stay or should I go? Um, some of them are a little bit too on the nose, like the way, um, like when they're making out when Steve and Barb. Are making out in in her bedroom and passion is rising and it's uh, Africa by Toto.
0: You know that, gets that, that's a little
1: bit too yeah, that's a little bit too on the nose. Okay, but I, I thought for the most part, I thought it, it it had a lot of great, um, really great soundtrack choices.
0: Yeah. Um, the other sort of side effect of Strange things has seen an increased demand for egos, which we don't have. Oh, yeah, we don't have them here in the UK. Um, so yeah, obviously, what do you
1: eat for breakfast in the UK? I don't
0: know, just toast and stodge and things, great, <laughs> great porridge and things. I don't know. We okay? we, uh, we, we don't have egos for some reason. They never made it over. We have waffles, uh, but we don't okay. have like we don't. We, for some reason, we don't have them, and they're made by Kellogg's as well. Um, well, which yeah. just makes it strange. we, we have Kellogg's. Kellogg's is like a main brand over here. Um But yeah, it was I had no idea what an ego was until I I looked it up on Wikipedia. So yeah. But apparently yep. the uh, Yeah, they increase they've uh, they've increased them and I love the fact that when uh when they're talking to to L in the end and it's sort of like you can have this normal life and you can live with my parents and you can you can have like proper meals and uh, and that and she's like, can I have egos? And when she's like out on her own and in fact she breaks into the supermarket just stealing all the egos, I thought it was just yeah. But um obviously Every every
1: every eleven cosplay I've seen it has her holding egos.
0: <laughs> I have to uh ask though. I mean obviously at the end we see Hopper putting into the into the, the storage box, uh, the, the plate of eggs. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think? I mean, do you think he still thinks she's out there or do you think, cause I mean, we obviously see her go off, him go off with the scientists in the finale before. Right. And I thought that would be it. He would disappear, but no, he shows up at the Christmas party at the police station and then basically turns up, steals food and then goes off again. Um, and he's put it in the box so I don't wasn't sure I mean whether he fought you alive or if he knows something that we as the audience don't know um, yeah I bet
1: I, I don't know that that kind of intrigues me as well well he clearly seems to think something is up but I, I don't know whether he actually knows she's still out
0: there or not um, and obviously at the the end uh, we obviously have Will coughing up the slug-like creature and having the flash, the sort of uh, flash to the upside down. Uh, yeah. Which I'm guessing is going to come into more into this. Uh, we obviously saw, we saw hints of, of thing, of interesting things in that last episode, like the egg, which we assume that the monster is hatched from. Uh, we obviously don't know where Elle's gone. So will she take him back to the upside down? I mean, it's, there's, there's a few, questions and I was I was kind of glad they didn't ha- end on like hundreds of questions left unanswered it pretty much wraps a lot of the questions up in this first season but we it right. ends with like three or four questions which I felt was about right uh, Yeah. going into season two I didn't want to have hundreds of questions like lost where it was just like all these things that like, needed to be answered it was nice that I just had these like small uh, small things it ended on
1: what about the hurley bird
0: stuff like that yeah Exactly, so... But, um... I mean, are you excited for season two? Oh, yeah, I'm, uh...
1: I- I'm quivering with anticipation.
0: Yeah. I know that, uh... Literally. <laughs> the guys over at French Toast Sunday, I know they're very excited for it. I think they're holding some sort of screening and things. So it wouldn't surprise me on their, their show that they... When uh, they do the next episode they're going to be raving about this about,
1: about oh, well with, with, with twin with twin Peaks just having recently ended they they, they got to have something to take up their 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 uh, time well, it's twin Peaks you, you know because uh, twin Peaks because twin Peaks I, I know what big fans of Twin Peaks they are
0: oh don't get me so this this last season of twin Peaks i'm going to take the unpopular stance of that you could have towed season three of Twin Peaks in five episodes. Um,
1: you are the only person I know that does not consider uh, the revival of Twin Peaks to be the complete and utter apex of David Lynch's career. I, it, like, like, it, is, it is like the finest thing he's ever done, according to everybody I know who loves Lynch.
0: I don't know. I, I, was I watching a different show to everyone else? This is why I was watching. The uh, I don't know. Were you? Must have. Um, else this, is this, you you weren't it.
1: watching. You weren't. You weren't accidentally watching like a, somehow got a preview of like a uh, young Sheldon, did
0: you? <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, I was like, I was watching the, t- Twin Peaks, and I mean, I have in my idea what Twin Peaks is supposed to be.
1: Uh
0: huh. Um, this sort of like soap opera style procedural. This uh, with like moments of. Lynch's sort of randomness thrown in just to keep things interesting and like, Twin Peaks season 3 it seemed like the randomness overtook everything and it was only the last three episodes or so where they finally figured, oh wait a minute, we are got to call this back but there was occasional bursts of genius in there um, but there was just a lot of fluff that I just didn't vibe with um and, uh, yeah, while the musical interludes in it were very nice, uh, get to see a lot of or, or Simone, which is never a bad thing. Um, no, I mean, not at all. I just, and, I, but nine inch nails. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I just, I don't know. I just, I just could not, I could not, could get into it, but I mean, it's not taking anything away. I mean, Twin Peaks still exists as it was. I mean I still have the original uh two seasons which I still still like. The first season especially is is still fantastic. But this third season, I don't know if i need to like leave it a year and come back and know what I'm gonna get going into it, but uh-huh. without getting too deep into it, is it, it there's a lot of aspects of it I just didn't they just didn't sit with with me. Um and I just I just couldn't get on with it. I think I need to Need to, I don't know. We need to because you didn't watch season three. I don't think you've seen any Twin Peaks yet. Have you? I,
1: I, I've I've seen, I made a couple attempts to get into the original show, but I never really managed to make it beyond like the third or fourth episode. I I am not a Lynch person. Okay. Um, I mean- it's just. I, I mean, there, he, there's a couple of movies he did, mainly the early ones that I like. I like Eraserhead, just for the weirdness. I like the the Elephant Man. That's about where it. That's about where it stands.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I like Mulholland Drive, which is now apparently the unpopular opinion. But um, the Lynch fans are obviously trying to bring, make June in June uh, uh-huh. a thing, which you know, good for them. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> I don't know. Can you make Lynch a thing? He's he's a midnight movie guy. He, I mean, that's what Risa Head came out of. Uh, it's a midnight yeah,
1: movie. Lynch, Lynch is really kind of like the ultimate cinema for cinema's sake. I mean, if you want to get an idea of it, what would mean, you know, absolute cinema, where where it would basically be all about kind of like the the diegetic experience of watching a film and about no other aspects like plot or character or story that it was just all about kind of like getting this effect um i think probably david lynch is probably at the top of um the list of people that can do that and um that is not really something i'm interested in is um i i mean i I like a movie to look good I like a movie to be beautiful. I like a movie to have a certain kind of effect on me. But I also kind of want things to kind of grab onto, like plot and character. And Lynch doesn't do that. Lynch doesn't, for the most part. Lynch is kind of like this guy who just basically wants to give you kind of like an idea of what a waking nightmare would look feel like. And um, you know, more power to him and to the people who. I mean, he's he's certainly, I think, in his, um, you know, the later, the, the last part of his career here, he's really, I think, gotten probably as as big a following outside hardcore movie nerds as he's ever had. Mm. You know, I, I I think there's a lot of I, I think even kind of like at the 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 peak of his hipness, you know. In the early 90s, you know, in the wake of Blue Velvet, you know, in between, you know, kind of at the Twin Peaks, you know, the kind of the Twin Peaks level, you know, between Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart, you know, he could do things and then, you know, he could do things like Industrial Symphony. And I remember renting that with my then girlfriend and just looking at it like, what the hell um, is this? Uh... You know, and it, it's it's. I respect him. Uh, I'm glad someone's out there doing what he does, uh, but he, he he doesn't really do a whole lot for me.
0: I think I mean there's two things when it comes to Lynch. I mean I'm I'm fascinated by him both as a person and the director. And, I, and while I might not appreciate everything that he's putting out, I like the fact he is putting it out. I yeah, that. and. I think watching this third season of Twin Peaks, I kept going back to this review I read of a a David Bowie album, and um, it was basically the line: "He's still the alien, but now at least he wants to talk to us." And that's what it felt like with elements of Twin Peaks. It sort of like it wasn't like Inland Empire was too old, too far out there, and just Lynch caught up in his own weirdness. It felt like he actually wanted to talk to us again, but he is still very much the alien. Um, Yeah. But um I think I need to find someone who who uh who adored who liked season three and just and uh and just like compare some notes and see see where they're coming from in uh in why they like the season. But uh yeah, if you want to share any notes please let us know. Uh we have obviously got the uh the Twitter, the Facebooks there as well, so uh let us know. Uh what you Yeah, what did you
1: think what did you think of the return of Twin Peaks? Yeah. Um, uh, if you wanna if you wanna have a long drawn out discussion with Elwood about it, let us know and maybe we'll have you on.
0: So uh And yeah. I can
1: just and I can just sit and I can just sit back and zone out on the heaviness of it all.
0: Yeah. The episode known as Lucky's Vacation. Yeah. <laughs> just sit there a, and drink I'm coffee. just
1: gonna sit back I'm just gonna sit back and smoke a dupe and you know, you zone out while the two of you just have a little rap about Twin
0: Peaks. Like, <laughs> he's going to say into the one this conversation, it's like, and you're standing before the Red Queen and she's offering you a cracker to quench your thirst. Bang! <laughs> that's that's yeah. the way I see this conversation going. <laughs> yeah, I'll, just, I'll start singing the, the In Heaven, the lady in the radiator song
1: at random points. It'll be, it'll be trippy.
0: Yeah
1: it'll be, it'll be 5 hours long it'll feel like tarkovsky directed it <laughs>
0: uh, it'll be a,
1: it'll be a dream
0: but um yeah i mean stranger things season 1 myself glowing recommendation um i didn't perhaps box set binge it the way everyone else has said that they did uh even though it's only 8 episodes long so it's a, it's short for a box set um but uh, no i enjoyed it i enjoyed the journey and I enjoyed each episode. It it gave me uh it gave me enough to to want to stick with it and to keep going. There was a nice build up of mystery and characters, and uh, yeah, I I would recommend yeah. checking it out. It's one that does definitely,
1: love. and um, it, it, I think it lived up for the most part to the hype. And um, you know, I'm glad to see it continuing. I'm glad to, and I'm really excited for the next season.
0: Uh on the next episode. Lucky will be showing his disappointment that season two didn't live up to his expectations.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be, yeah, I'm gonna have the same response as like you did to like the season three of Twin Peaks. <laughs> so and I'll have I need to have someone on who can who can <laughs> explain this to me. And that episode will be Elwood's vacation. <laughs> yeah. uh, you'll have watched it too, or you'll just put throwing snarky remarks at various points.
0: More than but um Obviously, looking ahead to next episode, where would you like to go next? Um, I
1: was thinking we could go back to some uh, '90s animation, um, and uh, it, it's time to take, a, I think, something of a 180 degree turn here. Uh, I'm going to do um, an episode of a show that is often referred to as a cartoon, but which I like to think of as an animated documentary, uh, and that is Daria. Um, Daria, the, the, uh, the show that started off as a, uh, a, uh, um, a spinoff of Beavis and Butthead and later went on to um, get its own well deserved cult following. And probably to me represents probably the closest thing I've ever seen in popular culture to what high school, American, you know, middle class, uh, you know, American high school. Uh, suburb thing felt like at the time uh, even though it is a few years i think this is uh this episode is from probably like maybe 98 or 97 but it's from the fourth um season and it's called um anti climbers cool. so we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna go uh we're gonna go back back a bit for that what about you
0: um, for myself, we're going to be breaking the curse because for regular listeners of the show, we will know that we recorded an episode where we looked at um, an episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia and an episode of Erie, Indiana. And unfortunately, while it was one of our greatest episodes ever recorded, we had a technical oh, yeah. and it was reduced to garbage. And we are going to break the curse because we've already done Always Sunny in Philadelphia. We had a wonderful draft, and that was great and now we're going to go back and we're going to look at Erie, Indiana we're going to finally get something down on the show to look at how great uh, Erie, Indiana is and we're going to look at the episode the ATM with the heart of gold (laughs) Um, and we will will also touch on the episode that uh, we originally covered on that one as well so um, I'm really excited to go back and talk about Indiana because this was Joe Dante's little uh homage to kind of like Twilight Zone and Outer Limits it was just like his spin this town where weirdness is just on every street corner and where Elvis is uh your neighbor and Sasquatch goes for your bins and dogs may be secretly plotting to take over the world it was a wonderful wonderful show and some one of my childhood favorites and uh I'm keen to revisit another episode of it. Um, yeah, so, so am I. I really liked the one with the dogs. So, uh, yeah, next episode we will be looking at both Daria and Irie and Diana, but, uh, um, this brings us to the end of, uh, the, the episode of, uh, TV Good Sleep Bad. Uh, as always, uh, please do check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Let us know what you think. Leave us your recommendations. We, uh, do love to hear it. And, uh, if you're on Podomatic or iTunes, uh, make sure you leave us a rating or, uh, some nice comments or just some feedback on the show. It uh, all helps. Um, Lucky, if people want to come and find you, where's the best place to find you as always? Um, I cannot disclose that my government
1: handlers will kill me. Um, (laughs) I am available on the wider internet at uh, com, where um, I put it where I post sporadic uh, bursts of, um, Film reviews, and then disappear for six months only to do it again six months later let's go
0: um, yeah, that's uh, really
1: just about it
0: <laughs> yeah as for myself uh, I'm on the uh, the twitter which is at underscore Jones, where you can obviously see all the uh, shows and things that I'm working on at the moment uh, also the blog is still there as always which is uh, from the dot and uh, which I'm obviously trying to do more things for. And, uh, you can also, uh, read, read my game reviews and, uh, read the latest chapters of, uh, my book. I've, uh, currently been serialized over on com, uh, The Movie Tourist, looking at movie locations. We recently looked at The Cabin, uh, from The Cabin in the Woods. So, uh, it's, uh, it's all fun. And, uh, as I said, it's, uh, a fun little series that I'm running over there. So, uh, but until, uh, next time, uh, thank you as always to my co-host, Ms. Daniel Lackey.
1: Always
0: a pleasure. And, uh, until next time. So, John, remind you to turn off uh, another edition of TV Goes Sleep Bad. Remind you as always to keep it strange.